Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. As a 12-year-old boy, I sat about halfway back, sort of in the middle of my classroom, my sixth grade classroom. And I watched one day as my teacher, Mrs. Cordes, she was a fairly new teacher, I think. Her husband was actually in seminary studying for the ministry. But I watched her writing up there, and I don't remember what it was, an assignment, I don't remember the words, anything. But what I remember very clearly is that all of a sudden I looked and she had misspelled a word. Now, the way I was, the way I looked at life, and the way I responded to things, that was a wrong that needed to be righted. And so I immediately raised my hand. Right? Wait, wait, trying to get her attention. But she, her back was to the wall and she kept writing. And I finally said, Mrs. Cordes, Mrs. Cordes. And I think she recognized my voice. <laughs> and she just kind of stopped. Turned a little and said, yes, Walter? You spelled a word wrong up there. This is a, a course in how to win friends and influence people, right? <laughs> sixth grade teacher in front of the whole classroom. But you spelled the word wrong. And she says, no, I didn't. I said, yes, you did. She stops and she looks at the whole thing, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden you can see her shoulders go. For indeed she had misspelled the word. And I don't remember what the word was, but it was supposed to be a, a, an A instead of an E or something like that. And I pointed out there, so she fixed it and said, thank you, Mr. Graham. And we went on. But see, I had this deep-seated drive to be right. I wanted to be right. I really wasn't about trying to embarrass the teacher. That was just the, the fallout from it. Unintended, not even thinking about it. But see, I, I had to be right. I wanted to be right about this. Being right was so important. That if nothing else, my 12 years of life had taught me that you need to be right about things. It'd be a lot of years before I learned that being right isn't always the most important thing. It's very important to be right, to be right about things, but it isn't always the most important thing. And we're gonna see that in our passage of scripture today. If you remember, and not to beat a dead horse here, but we had in this Roman church a struggle between Jewish people who had become followers of Christ and Gentiles who became followers of Christ, the Jews having lots of rules and regulations that they followed and, and all sorts of really important details. The Jews were very concerned about being right about things. And then the Gentiles who didn't have all of these religious customs, they're coming in, they have Christ, they don't have that. And so we have this conflict going on and, and the, the, the people with all the rules feeling you know, like, wow, these guys are, are not doing what's right. And the ones who are, didn't have all the rules say, what, what are you doing to me? What's, what's the big deal? Leave me alone. And so it creates this conflict in the church. And see, so the Apostle Paul, is, again, is going to address this issue, but from a, a different angle than he's been addressing it before. So let's go to Romans chapter 14. 
It's page 1307 in the Bible that's under the chairs there. If you don't have your own Bible with you, uh, or you have a different translation you'd like to follow along with us, use one of those, page 1307. Begin reading now in, in verse number one of chapter 14. It says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Okay, so let's just lay a little groundwork here and, and let you see. The first thing he's trying to say is that we need to accept one another, take, receive each other, bring each, you, people into our lives. And he says, but not for the purpose of fixing them and fixing everything. And he's talking about two groups of people. And one, he's talking about the ones who are strong in faith and then those who are weak in faith. And, and in this context, I mean, I mean, we tend to think strong in faith would be the, the most religious and the most, you know, uh, devoted to the rules and all that kind of stuff, and the weak would be the ones who are struggling with sin. But that's not the way these uh, terms are used here. The strong in faith is one who isn't driven by all the rules, I mean, by all these things. He he's just has a good relationship with Christ without having to worry about all of those things. And the weak in faith is the one who, who has to follow all these rules they think they're so important and I can't do this, and I can't do that, and if I do that, it's a sin, if I do this, it's a sin, and he describes them as the weak in faith here, all right? So we need to remember those terms this way as we look at this passage of Scripture. The Jewish believers came from a background of what? Lots of rules about what you could eat and about what you could drink. And, and those Issues aren't really such big issues for us here today, but we still have issues, things that we as Christians tend to disagree about. Uh, we might disagree about what translation of the Bible we should be using. We might disagree about uh, what day of the week we ought to be worshiping. We might disagree about uh, whether we should sing mostly worship songs or we should sing mostly hymns. Uh, we might be disagreeing about uh, how we partake of the Lord's Supper. We might be disagreeing about a lot of things as Christians, okay? And, and those are the kinds of things we're talking about for us here today in the application. So let's continue. Verse three. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Two Attitudes, two wrong responses here. One is the person who has, you know, these strict rules and looks at other people not doing it, judging them and say, you're sinning. That's a sin that you aren't doing this or it's a sin that you are doing this. Judgmental attitude. The other attitude was from those who didn't have all those issues to despise, he says, to look down on. And to me, it's like this, it's like, you know that attitude? You know what I'm talking about? Right? Oh, there he goes again. There she goes again. And looking down on and despising. So these two things, one is a judgmental attitude and the other is a looking down and nose at other people. So he says, you know, don't do that. Neither of those. And then he makes an important point. Verse four, who are you to judge another man's servant? 
To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I remember one time when I was uh, hanging around down my house, my kids were there and we were playing and there was another family there, another mother was actually there and her kids were around and uh, my child did something which was to me wasn't that big a deal, something that I might want to talk to him. I said, hey, don't do that. But the other mother jumped in and scolded my child and told him, gave him what for, you know. And I'm standing like, I'm going. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because she wasn't my kid's mother. She wasn't my kid's parent, I was. And so the idea is that my child should be answering to me, not to her in that setting. Well, Paul here is saying, why are you judging each other? Why are you looking down at each other? He says, because guess what? Who do we serve? Who do we serve, I'm asking you? We serve God. And so who do we answer to? God, ultimately. Now, there is a sense of accountability we have with each other. Uh, We can talk about that, but what he's trying to say is, if we're serving God, then we answer with God. And so if I have a problem with where I think you're at, who do I need to go to first? To God. That's right. And seek his leadership and his wisdom about how to respond to these things. Verse five, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. So we're talking about uh, the Jewish people had certain holidays that they they acknowledged and and, uh, the Gentiles didn't have those things. And I think for us it'd be like saying, okay, we, you know, some people say, oh wow, Good Friday's a very holy day, we shouldn't do anything, we should only go to church and be very somber on this day. And others saying, what do you mean, you know? I don't get it, and that's what he's talking about here. Okay, those kinds of things. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, this is a very important thing for us to get. We don't always um, figure out how to put all of this together. But Paul is saying here that it is important what we believe about these things. When these kinds of things that, that you might, you know, not see eye to eye with other Christians, here is not the deal. It's, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Anything goes. The Bible is far from anything goes, okay? And what Paul says here is that every believer needs to be fully convinced in his own mind between him and God. And so he's really he's telling here this Jewish person who's now a Christian, a follower of Christ, that listen, take it up with God. And, and if you are fully convinced that you need to serve him in these ways, do it. And it, but if you're saying, I, I'm, you know, God, I don't think I need to do this, and you take it up with God and you become fully convinced that I don't have to do that, great. Our problem is we have a struggle living with those two intentions, don't we? So we're gonna talk about in a little while, how do we do that? Because who's right? See, this is one of those places where I'm telling you that what's right, who's right, is not the most important thing in these kinds of issues. We're not talking about whether or not Jesus is the Christ, right? We're not talking about whether or not the Bible is the word of God. We're talking about, as he said in verse number one, doubtful things. 
doubtful things. Look over, I'm gonna show you in verse 22 and verse 23. He says here, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, you have been fully convinced before God that you are free to partake. You're free to, to be involved in this activity. You're free not to have to do certain things. And, and he says, you have that? He says, good for you. That's a blessing. Verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. And so when he says be fully convinced in your own mind, that means that if you are going to either be setting aside rules that some people think are important, or if you are going to be following rules or adopting rules, you need to have arrived at this conclusion between you and God and be persuaded about it. You can't say, Ah, oh, well, maybe it's okay and participate. Because if you do, what did, what did verse 23 say it was for you? Sin. If you don't have this strong, settled faith about this issue, it's sinful. You cannot go against your own conscience. If you think something might be wrong, what? Don't do it. If it might be wrong, Stay away from it. Let me say this, and, and some of you are going to you know, push back immediately. I know, but there are no gray areas in the Bible. There are things in the Bible that God doesn't tell us. There are things that he doesn't give us specific applications, and we have to try to figure out how, you know, this scripture applies in this situation, which God did not specifically talk about. We have to do that. We're to become fully convinced in our own mind, persuaded, have faith before God in it. But there are no gray areas. A gray area says, well, this could be a good thing or it might not be a good thing. It's kind of gray. Well, here's the deal for Christians. If it's gray, stay away. And I guarantee if you nail that down in your life, if it's gray and you stay away, you will not end up places that you didn't want to be. We need to be fully. And what I'm trying to tell you is it does matter what we believe. Each of us is responsible before God to, to be convinced about those things we believe and why we're living the way we do and why we think it's okay to do this and why we think we ought not to do this. And I'm not talking about the specific commands of Scripture. Those are settled. I'm talking about these other kinds of things. But we need to be fully convinced. It's not just, ah, go with the flow, do what you feel like. We have a responsibility in our relationship with God to pursue Him and to reach conclusions and to live by them. All right, let's go back over here to verse number six. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks. For none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. What's the point? The point is, is that we are not in this for us. We belong to the Lord if we've been saved, right? We receive Christ as Savior. The Bible says that he has purchased us. He, we are now his servants. And by the way, that's to our great blessing. We reap all the benefits of that. But it's about the Lord. It's not about what I think you're doing or not doing, what you think about me and what I'm doing. It's not about that. My focus needs to be serving God. Your focus needs to be serving God. 
Let's continue. Verse 9. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? There's those two attitudes, judgmental or despising and looking down on. For we shall, what's the next word? You guys out there? For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And I'm gonna ask you again, so focusing, I'm gonna ask you for a word. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. I, I mean, as a pastor, I do have a, a an accountability for you. There is a level of accountability I have for you. But in our interpersonal relationships, I will not give account to God for how you chose to live. And you will not give account to God for how I chose to live. So if you're gonna answer to God directly and I'm gonna answer to God directly, then, hmm, maybe I should let you answer to God directly now. And you let me answer to God directly now. And these kinds of things, see, we belong to him. Now, how should we respond to each other in this? Because let's face it, sometimes there are things that, that we have strong feelings about that we think, ah, oh, that's not a good thing. And, and I see him doing this, or I see her doing this. It's not a good thing, or I see them not doing. How do we handle that? Well, I think in love, we talk to each other. But we don't judge each other. And we don't look down our nose at each other. But we actually talk to each other and here's what I think needs to happen. The person, let's say, who feels very free, you know, free to partake of whatever and to do whatever and isn't worried about it, and someone who has, as Paul says, a more sensitive conscience comes and says, you know, I don't, I really feel uncomfortable about that. I think that's not a good thing that you're doing. I can go, ah, get out of my, you know, I can do that, or I can say, okay, thank you, and, and I'll, I'll pray about that, and then actually talk to God about it and say, God, Am I missing something? You know, this person feels so strongly about this. And am I missing something? And if I am, it's good to know. And I can make a change. And, and the same goes for the other way around. The person who you know, tries to say, no, listen, you're, you're all tied up with all these rules and ways to live. And, and you don't really need to do that because really you're free in Christ. You don't have to try to do all that stuff and live that way anymore. That person instead of saying, oh, what a sinner you are, ought to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to pray about that. And then say to God, God, am I missing something here? And then our differences become valuable to us, don't they? Our differences let us actually look at issues and address issues before God that we otherwise would not. And so we need to be open to each other in these things. And in verse 13, you will come to the first of two really, really important things I want you to, to get here today. He says, therefore, because of this, all these things I've said so far, therefore let us not judge one another anymore but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Huh. 
don't judge anymore. Don't look down your nose anymore, but rather pay attention to this. In other words, look, there's something more important here than being right. You see that, what he's saying? You may be very right in your belief, but that's not the point here. The point is, is the way you are acting, the way you are responding, is it helping this person grow as a Christian or is it causing them to stumble and to fall? And so here's, here's the first major point I want you to get today of two. It, this is the attitude that we need to adopt because there's something more important here than this issue that we're disagreeing about, okay? And, and so here's what I want you to say. You need this attitude. You are more important to me than what either of us believes. You are more important to me. Now understand this. Does this mean it's not important what we believe? Doesn't mean that at all. Didn't we just read earlier that God says you need to be fully convinced, you need to be persuaded, you need to be confident, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it and you need to live by what you believe. You do need to do that. But what, what, what about when I disagree with you about that and you disagree with me about that? Do we, do we go, Mrs. Cordes, Mrs. Cordes, you spelled the word wrong. No, what do we need to do? We need to look at this other person and value him or her. Yeah, we disagree about this. And, and I think it's important. Maybe we can talk some more, but I want you to know. I want you to know that you are more important to me than where we come down on this issue. That doesn't come natural. But do you understand that this is the way Jesus loved us? Did he say get your beliefs right and then I'll be okay with you? Now, we did have to believe certain things to get saved, but when did he die for us? Before we've got it right in our beliefs or after? Before. Before we ever believed it was right, he valued us so much. And he valued those who would be saved and he valued those who still wouldn't even been saved and died for them too. He, aren't you glad that Jesus said you're more important to me than what you believe? Aren't you glad he said that? See, we need to have that attitude toward each other. You are more important to me than what either of us believes. And so, boy, that sets you up to be able to actually have a conversation, have a relationship. Maybe one of you will change your minds. Maybe neither of you change your minds. But you go forward as brothers and sisters in Christ and so, so important. Let's, let's read on here quickly because we're uh, running out of time. But verses 14 and on illustrates this. He says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself so Paul's coming down on the side of those who are saying, hey, you don't have to worry about all those rules and regulations about eating and drinking and days and all that. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him, it is unclean. So if you feel like something's a sin, then for you it would be a sin. Don't do it. It's gotta be fully convinced in your own mind, right? Between you and God. Verse 15, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. And the picture here is blatantly eating 
uh, in this situation, it might have been pork. Uh, that the Jewish believers, oh, they couldn't do that. And you write, and let's, let's bring pork to the potluck. You see what I'm saying? He said, don't do that. You're not acting in love when you're being that way. Verse 16, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. This does not mean you straighten them out. What do you mean? This is not evil, this is good. What he's saying is by the the way you're living and it's good for you, don't let it become an evil thing by letting it hurt other people. Being right and letting it hurt other people. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Do not destroy the work of God over a disagreement about doubtful things. You know, we can do that. We don't think, oh, we wouldn't do that, but yeah, we do. Something much more important, see? All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. In other words, if if he can't do it in a good conscience, he shouldn't do it. But then he says this, it is good neither to eat meat and drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. He is saying here to the strong in faith, the ones who say, well, I can eat this, I can drink this, I I don't have to be concerned about this day. He says, if you holding that opinion and living it out in a way that begins to hurt your brother or sister in Christ, damages your relationship because you aren't communicating that they're more important, you need to let it go but I have a right to that. You have a right to injure your brother or sister in Christ when it could be avoided? I don't think so. So let's go down to chapter 15. We already looked at those other two verses. Chapter 15, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. So, bottom line here, he's saying that as a Christian, you do, your top priority in life is not pleasing yourself. It's not your own pleasure. Well, I enjoy eating this. I enjoy drinking this. I enjoy doing this. I find pleasure in it. Yes, but you are doing damage to this relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are doing damage there. And he says, don't do that. And so here's the second major point. Your well-being is more important to me than my pleasure. Wow. That's a deep thing to actually try to live by, folks. It's huge. Because what's it mean? It means you may choose to give up things that you don't, wouldn't have to give up, but you choose to give up to not let it be an issue between you and somebody else. You choose to give up this thing that's so important to you. You feel like, you know, the way we worship, but you're willing to give that up for the well-being of the whole church. Pick your issue. I just didn't pick on one in particular. This is Christian love. Did Jesus love this way? Did he look at us and say, your well-being is more important than my pleasure? 
Yeah. Let's read on. Verse three, for even Christ did not please himself. He came and he gave himself. He died on the cross for us. He bore the guilt burden of our sins. Jump down to verse number seven. Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And so he's really telling us here to love each other like Jesus. Love each other like Jesus. And that means at least these two things. One is that you are more important to me than what either of us believes. It's not about whether I'm right or you're right. You matter to me. We'll, we'll work on that other stuff. But you matter to me. And the second thing is that your well-being is more important than my, your well-being is more important to me than my own pleasure. So I'm willing to let things go that I might like to do to be of help to you. And see, when we become like Jesus, we learn to love like Jesus. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Love each other the way I have loved you. This is what God has called us to. This is what God has called this church family to. And we need to love each other in this way. And when we love each other in this way, it will open the doors for the world to know about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us about hard things for us, things that don't come natural to us but are so important. I pray, Father, that you would fill our hearts with this love that we'd understand your love for us and then we would love out toward people around us and toward each other, Lord, and, and we would set our hearts on each other's well-being and, and we would determine that the people that you've brought us into relationship with in this church, Lord, that, that they're so important to us. Lord, I know that when we do that, that that approach to life and to people will spill out from here and many can be reached. So Father, please don't let us go away today without wrestling now and continuing to wrestle going forward with learning to love each other like Jesus. And I pray it in his name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Thank you. You are dismissed.